child abuse, particularly childhood sexual abuse, is such a sensitive topic. It's such a disturbing topic that as parents, I think we often aren't sure how to best approach it with our kids. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 385. Today, we're talking about how to teach body safety with Dr. Missy Grider. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. So glad you are here. Listen, if you haven't done so yet, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And if you get some value from the podcast, please go over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and leave us a rating and review. It just helps the podcast grow more and takes 30 seconds. And I hugely appreciate it. In just a moment, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Missy Greider, who serves as the founder of Meeting Kids Needs and is responsible for creating the learning activities provided for children and parents and the body safety box, which is what we're going to talk about today. And I have to give you a warning. We're going to be talking about abuse and its consequences. So if you are triggered by this or if you have small children around who worry, you don't want them to hear things about this except in a more controlled environment, then that's what we're going to be talking about is some of that. So there's your trigger warning. But listen, this is so, so important because it's not easy to talk about body safety, right? And because it's so difficult, we can kind of miss out on these important conversations. And that's why I'm really excited to introduce you to Dr. Missy, who developed the body safety box, because you're going to hear about how important this is and how really This body safety box makes it so much easier, and it might be really the number one most important thing you will honestly ever do for your child's safety. So it's so, so vital. So join me at the table as I talk to Dr. Missy Greider. The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her triggered to transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. Missy, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Hunter. I'm so glad to be here today. Okay, well, I'm... Looking forward to talking to you because you created something called the Body Safety Box, and I want you to tell us what that is. Yes, I would love to share that with you. Thank you. 
So the Body Safety Box is a child abuse prevention educational kit that I designed to help protect elementary school children from childhood physical and sexual abuse. There is one box that is made for kids ages 5 to 8, and a second box that's made for kids ages 9 to 12 for our tween crowd. So child abuse prevention, child abuse, particularly childhood sexual abuse, is such a sensitive topic. It's such a disturbing topic that as parents, I think we often aren't sure how to best approach it with our kids. So we often don't have the conversations that we really want to have because we just don't want to get it wrong. You know, doesn't that make sense? And doesn't that just yeah, yeah. sound mm-hmm. like so many of us as parents? So yet an informed child hunter is a better protected child. So the body safety box gives parents all they need to make tough conversations easy. The body safety box contains all the language parents need to teach their kids refusal skills and reporting skills in ways that are kid-friendly, age-appropriate, and developmentally appropriate. And the lessons inside the body safety box are actually scripted, so there's no guesswork needed for parents. Okay, cool. So if we are, you know, we should all be concerned about this. Sure. About kids' bodily autonomy, helping them to have a sense of their own bodily autonomy. But if we're feeling like, I just don't know what to say, it's so awkward, I don't know how to start, the body safety box is there to kind of walk you through step by step. It's almost like a curriculum for parents. Absolutely. Yes. To for bodily autonomy, right? Yes. Yes. And body safety, particularly for abuse prevention. Okay, cool. What are some of the things that, you know, I guess, how does it start? How, what does it walk you through? Sure. How about if I start a little bit with just the prevalence of abuse and how, it, you know, how much it's out there just to kind of set the stage for that? Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. I think that's incredibly important to talk sure, about. Sure. Sure. So, you know, as parents, we need to be aware that abuse is everywhere across all demographic boundaries. And we'd like to think that, you know, there's this false sense of safety where we can kind of gated community our way out of it. Uh And unfortunately, that's just not the case. And the statistics are really, they're truly staggering. So keep in mind that abuse is underreported. And so it's hard to really truly get accurate numbers. But the most recent numbers I've seen in the research are one in four girls and one in 13 boys will experience contact sexual abuse before turning 18. So that's actually being touched. That's not just, you know, seeing an inappropriate image and things like that. That's contact sexual abuse. Wow. And that's a ton. So the median age of childhood sexual abuse is only nine years old. So what that means statistically, you know, that median word in statistical language. So 50 percent of the time that that abuse is going to occur to a child, it happens to children under nine years of age. So just incredibly young. So that's a fourth grader, you know, so half of the time it's happening under, you know, under that. And then 50 percent of the time it happens to children over age nine. So between ages nine and 18. So picture your child's classroom, you know, at age nine, a fourth grade classroom, whether your child is in fourth grade or younger or older, just picture that fourth grade classroom of 30 kids. So what those numbers tell us, Hunter, is that two of the boys and seven of the girls will experience abuse before turning 18. And half of and for half of those kids, they already have. They already have. So just just staggering. So, you know, it's so disturbing. It's No one wants to think about it. I don't want to think about it. It's not part of my story, and I still don't want to think about it, but we have to if we're going to prevent it. And our kids deserve just our very best efforts at prevention. 
So another thing too, I mean, I'm full blown in middle age by now and I, you know, don't know your age, but for us, you know, in, in my day, it wasn't really even instruction, but we just learned stranger danger. I don't know if that was something, you know, that yeah. came up. Yeah. So stranger danger, that's kind of what, what everybody thought, but. Which is not true. It's complete BS. <laughs> It's so frustrating. It's not true at all. It's complete BS. <laughs> yes. So it's really the the latest statistic. And again, it's so hard to get really close stats on this because it's so underreported. But over 91% of children know their abuser. So it's known person danger. It is known person danger. So uh, we need to think about as moms, who has access to our kids? Who has access? And this is scary, but who sets up some type of pattern of interaction where you as a parent falsely trust this person, you know, people who are relatives, distant relatives, people who are who position themselves as, quote, family friends, coaches, people at friends homes, uh, you know, greatly minimizing or eliminating the one adult to one child interaction right. that's been shown in the literature as a as a protective factor. And also, and bear with me, this stuff is disturbing to hear. It's disturbing for me to think about, but we, for all of us to think about, but we've got to, in order to best protect our, our children. So a top perpetrator statistically is a male in a relationship with a single mom. Oh. So think access to a kid. Think that perpetrator is finding somebody with kids that he's got access to. So another thing, Hunter, is older kid to younger kid abuse is common. Mm -hmm. You know, so think about, just that little power differential between an older kid and, and a younger kid, that's also common. And this was this was so upsetting for me as I was, you know, researching and, and writing the lessons in the body safety box. Kids who have special needs and who have challenges with communication. So think about it. Mm -hmm. They have challenges with communications. It's more difficult for them to tell and to report those kids are more at, at risk. So another thing to really be oh. aware of, which is which is just deeply upsetting. And also another statistic is less than 10% of kids tell. And oftentimes when a kid does tell, the one adult they do tell doesn't help. You know, this is amazing. My daughters are in, um, they're in an all-girls Boy Scout troop. Dear listener, you've heard me say that so many times. Uh -huh. But they, which, you know, of course, the Scouts as an organization had a big, had big lawsuits and challenges with abuse. And yes, um, and I had to be able to again think access, think access, access. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I to so they've uh -huh. they've um, they've gone through a whole organizational turnaround with that. And to for me to be able to join them on a, a scout troop, yes, I had to go through a, a training right about this where they where they talk about the the completely it's completely unallowed to have any kind of one adult to one child yes thing they won't even let an older they won't let older scouts bunk with younger yes. scouts if there's more than a two-year age difference right um all of these things that you're saying um they have sort of protocols in place now to to really help with yes. those because of, of course there's a tragic history right that that is a facilitation for that but as I went through this training, which was like, it just made me cry. It was terrible. Um, but I was thinking about how many organizations are out there with kids doing things and all kinds of organizations with kids and adults and things like that and organized activities and things that are not, that don't have any of this kind of protocol. For sure. Like they, they can't even make a phone call. Like an adult can't make a phone call directly to a scout. Like they have to have another 
adult or another scout, you know, how there has to, there's never that one-on-one thing. Um, So, but it just made me think about these protocols that they're not very widely they're not adapted or known, are they? They're not. And they need to be. And even too, I'm thinking about even fingerprint cards. Yes. Hallelujah. We've got to have the fingerprint cards, but it, it doesn't mean that a fingerprint card is necessarily a safe person. It might have not been reported, mm. you know. So, I mean, there's just so, so many factors, so many factors to keep in mind. And, you know, it's us as moms, as child advocates, you know, really advocating for these things happening in the programming that our children are in. And advocating not only for our own children, but our children's peer group. And that's how things are going to really change. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too good to be true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job. Congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Ritual's Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So this is not taught in school. What are they teaching kids in school that might be something that could be preventing abuse? Are they doing anything in school? Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. So Erin Marin, uh, she has a she's a fantastic woman. She is a social worker now. 
She's a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, and she has single-handedly put, in, put legislation in 37 states to, wow, but it doesn't mean it's happening. So the legislation is there, but it doesn't mean it's happening. So that would be something that parents can do is go to aaronslaw.org, see if your state is a state where, you know, the law, the legislation has been passed. And then it's a matter of getting in touch with your principal, seeing if there's an evidence-based, which means we have evidence knowing that the program works, such as the body safety box. Erin Marin has graciously herself written a testimonial for the Body Safety Box, making sure that that instruction is in place and that it's actually happening. And Erin's story, and she says it so eloquently that, you know, here she was as a kid going through these horrific things. And she's like, we were at school doing fire drills. We were doing bus drills. Great. Let's do them. But let's look at the prevalence of that versus abuse that's happening to every kid that's happening to kids in every classroom statistically at some point, you know. This is the number one danger to kids. It's a huge danger to kids. It's absolutely huge. And, you know, um, this study is starting to get more mainstream. Have you heard of the ACE study, A-C-E, Adverse Childhood Experiences Story? Yeah, the adverse. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. I'd love to share with your dear listeners some of that. Does that sound okay? Yes, please. Yes. Okay. So the ACE study is the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And I'm so glad that it's finally, you know, getting more out there. So more folks are hearing about it. So it's a huge land study with over 17,000 adult participants. So in the world of research, I mean, that is a massive sample size. So there were mm-hmm. 10 adverse childhood experiences that participants were asked if they experienced as kids. So these include, to name a few, experiencing violence, abuse, or neglect. So we're talking about a- abuse today. And interestingly, witnessing violence in the home that can impact you as much as actually experiencing it. So a, a child who sees a mom in a domestically violent situation, uh, witnessing violence in the home or the community. So as we're thinking about all our kids, that you know, with the school shootings, what about all those kids, the precious kids who we've lost, and then the precious kids who were in that school? You know, the hundreds yeah. of thousands of kids, you know, Columbine happened early in my teaching career. All those shootings since then, that's a, obviously a trauma in, in that school and all those kids that have experienced that, the hundreds of thousands of kids. Separation or divorce of your parents, having a family member attempt or die by suicide, having an incarcerated parent, substance abuse problems in the home or mental health problems in the home that people grew up in. So think about how many people grew up in an alcoholic home or where there was an anxious or depressed parent. How many people grew up in a divorce home? Those are adverse childhood experiences, not just childhood sexual and physical abuse, which we're talking about today. So this study looked at primarily college-educated, white, middle-class Americans, people we don't think of typically that have the added challenges of poverty or of being economically disadvantaged. So this is, you know, privileged-ish people, Uh you know, and the numbers are still huge. So 61% of those adults in that demographic surveyed across 25 states had experienced at least one ACE. So that's the majority of people have experienced at least one of those, you know, quote, traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. And nearly one in six had experienced four or more ACEs. Mm -hmm. And four or more of those, that's huge. So let's just, you know, name four of them. So we've got a mentally a parent with some mental illness challenges, you know, some substance abuse, uh, experienced childhood sexual abuse yourself or someone incarcerated. So that's one in six people have had four or more. Wow. And that's just massive, just massive. 
Mm-hmm. So here in Phoenix, in my home city, I participated for many years in a trauma-sensitive schools work group with other professionals across many disciplines, you know, trying to help, you know, how do we support our kids who have experienced trauma? How can we make our schools more supportive for these precious children in our care? And we talked about how children here in our state, children with five or more ACEs, could fill our professional football stadium. And ACEs, what the study shows, what the ACE study shows, is that ACEs are associated with a wide range of health health conditions, including obesity, heart disease, lung disease, depression, substance abuse. ACEs can also negatively impact educational attainment, job opportunities, and earning potential across a person's lifespan. You know, and as a teacher, the implications for teaching and learning for our kids are just huge. So we think about, you know, the protection and love and care of children that are experiencing these adverse events are so deeply deserving of and how often these are the kids. And think about visiting your child's classroom. You're looking at that kid who you think needs, quote, discipline or is acting out or whatever. And what if the root cause is something as insidious as abuse? You know, and thinking back to your episodes with with Dr. Mona Delhook, with Dr. Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett, mm-hmm. you know, all the bodily activation, all of the, you know, all of those things that are happening. It's like, let's get down and look at root causes instead of looking at how this kid is, quote, acting. It's like, what are this? What is this child? What does this child need? Yeah. What is going on in this child's life? How can we be a protector and an advocate for this child instead of seeing this kid as a behavior issue? You know, when they're a human being that is, oh, just to remind the listener, you know, that, you know, as we talked about with Mona Delhawk, and we know that the stress response in the body is fight, flight, or freeze. And for kids, yes, fight, flight, or freeze can look like pushing, sure. spitting, sure. kicking, sure. fighting, trying to get away. Um, yes. You know, all of those things, yelling, right? That that is that is all can be those behaviors. Absolutely, are not. You know, when we can look underneath it, we can say, "Oh, okay." In a lot of ways, that that's probably that most likely is a stress response. Like that is a nervous system for sure, feeling threatened and a stress response. Just as we don't make a conscious choice to yell, uh-huh. it's a, it may be something that is that is happening because we feel stressed and threatened, right? Or we're at capacity as adults. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a full, you know, and we have a fully developed brain, yes. right? So when we look at kids, that that, you know, we can see a lot of those behaviors, we can say, okay, that's a stress response. And and it goes back to the kind of that old, there's a saying, like kids who are acting badly or feeling badly. Yes. People who are acting badly or feeling badly. Yes. And you can hear from Missy what she's saying about how prevalent these adverse childhood experiences are yes. and how these things, I mean, I imagine as you were listening, dear listener, to that list, you may recognize, oh, yeah, I had a parent who had mental health issues sure. and, and that's contributed maybe to my obesity, right? Like we can understand those things, how they are, sure. how they're connected, right? And so this is an invitation to really look at underneath what are the what are the causes and how can we address these root causes? Oh, absolutely. And I, we talk about in teaching, we hope to, I try to, you know, looking at the why behind the behavior. And I know some of your other, you know, guests that are professionals in the field talk about looking at the underneath the iceberg. And it's, what is that why behind children's behavior? Another question too, a really, really quality question is what happened to you? 
So what happened to this child or what happened to you as an adult, as a mom? Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry, I've had the privilege of listening to Dr. Bruce Perry, MD and PhD. He's both kinds of, of doctor. He's a foremost researcher in child maltreatment. And it, they have co-written a book by that name, What Happened to You? So really looking at ACEs, the ACE study is, is mentioned and, and, and the results of this and how we can also get healing, you know, if we've experienced these things as, as children. And we've addressed, you know, ACEs generally. And I wanted to share, too, just some facts specific to childhood sexual abuse, which the Body Safety Box is designed to help prevent. So experiencing, in particular, childhood sexual abuse can affect how a person thinks, acts, and feels over a lifetime. And this can result in short and long-term physical, mental, and behavioral health consequences. And some of these are specific to ACEs, too. Um, other ACEs, too heart disease, obesity, cancer, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. substance use, increased risk for suicide attempts. Females exposed to child sexual abuse are between 2 and 13 times at an increased risk of sexual violence victimization in adulthood. Mm. We can really be setting kids up if we're not helping first of all with primary prevention to try to prevent abuse in the first place and also, with secondary prevention, if we know a child has experienced some sexual abuse, we can use the body safety box as a secondary prevention tool as well, which is really important too. And of course, the human risk is what the human cost, the human suffering is what matters the most. And yet, there's also a monetary cost as well. The cost per child is over $830,000 over a lifetime for non-fatal child maltreatment. So $830,000. So as somebody who is a child advocate who's done this work for a very long time, you know, sometimes some of the pushback is, oh, well, we don't have the money. It's like you don't have $60 for prevention for a body safety box when it's $830,000 and all the human suffering for one child. And then in the United States, the total lifetime economic burden of childhood sexual abuse. And this is the most recent stat we have, which is 2015. It's, but that's the, the closest we have, was estimated to be at at least $9.3 billion. Okay. So inside the boxes, tell us again, what is inside the box? We open it up. There's and what do we find if say I have a seven year old? Yes, yes. So you've got a seven year old. You open up the body safety box and the first two lessons. So there are seven lessons for your kids. So for your seven year old. So the first two lessons are social and emotional learning lessons, and these are foundational lessons before directly teaching the body safety direct rules. And these help our kids to help begin to build a solid sense of worth and identity because that's really foundational to, to abuse. And sometimes I think we can miss that and think, oh, let's just get into body safety rules themselves. But we really want to help the child develop a sense of their worth, their identity, their dignity. So we start with kids making an inside and outside self-portrait where they reflect on all of the great character qualities they have. And it also reinforces a positive body image for kids on the outside. So we're teaching kids how special they are, how worthy they are. And this is framed artwork that kids hang in their rooms. And I suggest in the direction sheets that kids hang it next to their light switch. So they're really actively seeing it repeatedly. And this helps create positive messages in kids' brains. So neurologically, they're seeing over and over again these positive qualities about themselves, seeing how special their bodies are on the outside, seeing how special their qualities are on the inside. And I had seen one study hunter where, and this was upsetting, where the typical adult tells himself 
300 negative messages a day about themselves, uh, which I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. Like, how are you getting anything done if you're thinking all the, of these negative things about yourself? So how could we set our kids up for a different, better, healthy, positive, you know, narrative about themselves? And we want to prevent even that awful messaging and help our kids build a more positive story about themselves. So next, we give our kids a foundational emotional vocabulary lesson. Dr. Brene Brown's research, I love her work. She's positively impacted me so much. And her work teaches us that a typical adult knows only three emotional vocabulary words. And those are happy, sad, and angry. Yet we want to introduce our kids to at least 30 emotional vocabulary words, just depending on their age and where they are individually. So this is really setting kids up for so many good things relationally, being able to recognize and label their feelings, being able to start to emotionally regulate, being able to connect with others, and related to abuse, being able to trust the extremely uncomfortable and confusing feelings surrounding abuse and being able to keep telling adults until they get help. So that's really where the emotional part uh, you know, comes into prevention. So in those first two lessons with your seven-year-old, we've given kids a foundation for I am special and my feelings are special. And then we get into my body is special and we teach kids two specific body safety rules in the next lesson. So we teach kids their first body safety rule, no one can hurt my body. And that's the physical pr abuse prevention piece. We teach it with words a child-made drawing, which is the little poster, and a movement, which is really in line with brain-based learning. The body safety box is really active and engaging on purpose. And a boring worksheet and the Charlie Brown teacher, wah, 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 you know, it's just not going to work. So we want to make sure that we're giving our kids just really high-quality instruction. Kids make puppets. They make actual pillowcases where when they lay their head on their pillow at night, they can say to themselves how special their body is and no one can hurt my body. Kids love it. I love how engaging it is for kids and how they're setting themselves up for positive things with that great neural messaging that's creating positive messaging in their brains. And that's pretty unusual, though. I love the idea of a pillowcase because that's not yes. a typical childhood craft. It is not. <laughs> not something boring they've done before. Right. It's something new. For sure. And it is something that is intimate and close to them. That's lovely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And especially, too, I've done a lot of work with kids in, you know, economically disadvantaged areas, and they are thrilled to get a pillowcase. And it's it's really beautiful. So I, I love that too. Thank you. We then teach kids their second body safety rule, which is no one can touch my private parts. And these are defined as the parts of kids' bodies that are covered by their swimsuits. So again, they look at a little poster with a child-made drawing of a little boy with his boy swimsuit on, a little girl with her girl swimsuit on. They learn that rule. We have movements for it. We put it together with a song. Um, I had observed another program in a classroom, another prevention program, where it was a second, it, ironically, as we're talking about seven-year-olds, it was a second grade, seven-year-old classroom where kids are, you know, seven and eight. And the term sexual abuse was used. And I thought, you know, I don't want my seven-year-old to hear sexual and abuse put together when they're that little. 
I, I just don't want that. So I per- very purposely, when I created the body safety box. Yeah, because you don't want them putting those words together. You want them to have healthy sexuality later, right, as well. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So at such a young age. Yeah. So I'm there, you know, thinking, mm-hmm. let's create the most age-appropriate, kid-friendly, developmentally appropriate language that no one can touch my private parts. These are the parts of my body that are covered by my swimsuit. Yeah. And that's appropriate for, for all kids. Another thing I wanted to put out out there too for your dear listeners is I had heard from American Academy of Pediatrics. They recommend that adults start teaching their kids as early as age two body safety information. So that's so important. Really, as early as age two, we can start teaching our kids that, you know, no one can touch these parts of our bodies that are covered by their swimsuit for our little super young kids. So that's important. Um, Also, for that body safety rule, kids make magnetized artwork for the fridge or they hang art they can hang artwork in their rooms at home where they use skin tone colored pencils that are really valuing of their unique bodies and skin color. So there's magnetized artwork, there's a magnet hanging on the fridge that says no one can hurt my body and no one can touch my private parts. So it's always there, something parents can refer to over and over again just to keep those conversations going. You know, it's not just that one shot learning on the one worksheet that's crumpled in the backpack. So then we teach kids in later lessons, we teach kids refusal and telling skills, which are so important so that kids will know what to do if they're in a situation that isn't good for them. I use the visual of a stop sign, which kids know, and kids learn that they can say stop in a big voice. They can get away and they can keep telling adults. The stop sign is also a really great visual cue to remind parents, you know, when you're in the car with your kids to review what kids have learned about keeping their body safe. And they can always tell you right away if they've been in an uncomfortable situation. So kids learn with the visual of the stop, get away and keep telling adult sign. They learn again with a movement. So we're really getting at all the ways that the brain learns. And the last concept in the body safety box, and this is a super important one because we know how few kids tell, it's not my fault. So kids learn it's not my fault. It's just critically important to let kids know this. As you know, we've talked about some studies show that 10% of kids tell, or they might tell really delayed, like it's a really big lag. Like you'll tell someone when you're an adult for the first time that something, you know, tragic happened to you as a child. So it's the shame the embarrassment that kids carry from abuse and it's not theirs to carry. So it's not my fault. It's just a huge concept. Kids learn that with words, a drawing of movement um, for the seven-year-old in the seven-year-old box. There's a little beach ball game that kids make and play. Uh, and I've had kids tell me when I was teaching all the lessons myself and, you know, in the early years of the body safety box, I would have kids come up to me and say, I taught the body safety rules to my cousin. I played the beach ball game with them. So, I mean, Kid to kid, they're even teaching Um, prevention rules, which is amazing. So that's great. For that seven-year-old, thank you. For your seven-year-old, there are a total of seven lessons. The Body Safety Box has the greatest number of instructional minutes of any program available, which is so important. And the lessons are active. They're engaging their hands-on. And kids make keepsake quality items that they keep that are hanging in their room that they can refer to over and over again to reinforce learning. And Hunter, I've been just deeply moved by how many kids the body safety box has helped. I hear stories from social workers in schools, from school administrators, principals, of how kids get the instruction in school and they come in and report. I have heard of siblings 
who haven't had the lessons tell kids in their home who have had body safety box lessons at school about abuse happening to other children at home. And the child who has had the lessons reports at school and then asks for box materials, for body safety box materials to teach to their victimized sibling. This seems so obvious as you say these things, right? Like these seem so obvious that we need to be teaching a a foundational sense of worth and identity. We need to be learning more emotional words than happy, sad, and angry. We need kids to know that no one can hurt my body yes and no one can touch my private parts like when you present something like this it's like it's like one of those dumb moments where it's like it's right. so clear and obvious that it's like how could we not be doing it yeah it's it's a hard it's like a there's a barrier for us yes. to overcome with it because it's awkward and it's uncomfortable it's sensitive. And it's, it's uncomfortable yeah Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. You know, another story, too. Um, I have an an adult woman who gave me permission to share her story anonymously. So here, you know, we've talked about the the challenges with kids who have special needs and their challenges with communication. Well, this is a girl in the gifted program who grew up in an affluent, you know, area of of Phoenix in the Scottsdale area. Dad's a professional. She had a four-year abuse cycle. She said, Missy, had I had one teacher tell me it wasn't okay to be touched down there, I would have gone in at the next recess and told. You know, and her abuse went on for years. She hid in a closet. And kids kids just don't know. And she's in the gifted program. Here's this kid in this lovely home. And we just don't know 
where this is happening. And we just have to be relentless about giving kids the information that they need. She would have told had she had, and it was, uh, she had told me about one lesson in particular, the body safety box. She's like, this lesson, it would have ended right there. I would have gone in and at the next recess and told. So, yeah, you know, this is huge too. I just spoke with a school social worker super recently. She teaches box lessons, body safety box lessons in her school. And she ha- says that girls, in particular, she was talking about a group of girls who have had the lessons. They talk amongst themselves and the stronger friends of the group, the kids who just naturally have a bolder, stronger leadership type personality will say, hey, we need to go tell the school counselor. So kids will report to other kids who then report to adults. So just really giving kids this instruction, it's having a really good ripple effect. You know, when I taught the lessons personally in classrooms, I I would do, you know, pre and post assessments. And I remember a little first grade girl. So here I am doing this pretest. So I haven't taught the concepts yet to kids. And with the kindergartner and first graders, I would, you know, ask them verbally because they weren't as experienced in writing and I wanted to make sure I was getting accurate data from them. So I'm doing this pre-assessment with this little first grader. And before I had taught her any of the lessons, I was asking her one of the pretest questions. And it was, if someone hurt your body, who could you tell? And here's this little kid and she's telling She's rattling off a ton of adults that I teach kids that they can keep telling. And I'm like, wow, that's great. You know so much about keeping your body safe. Where did you learn that? And she said, it was from a book called I Can Tell. And her sister had read it to her. And I put it together that her older sister had had the lessons that previous year. And she taught the body safety rules to this little girl and read that little book to her that she had made. That's amazing. So this is another avenue for parents that we can take. If you know, for listener, if you're listening to this, you can get the body safety box at home. But you can also adv- be an advocate for your school teaching this curriculum. I mean, I wonder, do you have pushback against teaching this curriculum since there's so much, you know, right now a censorship and trying right. to, you know, control what people, kids are learning in schools right now? Surprisingly not. So I taught the lessons myself to over 1,500 kids over the years. I had probably less than 10 parents opt out. So that's that's really good. Um, so I did not. I did not get any negative feedback on it. It was extremely re- well received, you know, by teachers, administrators, families. And it's so engaging for the kids. So, I mean, you come in and kids are doing these activities. They're super engaged. And it, it's been overwhelmingly positive, Hunter, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, I think, too, the way that I communicate with the language, it's so kid-friendly. It's so, you know, any parent who wants to keep their child safe, I think, is all for having kids learn no one can touch the parts of my body that are covered by my swimsuit. It's just very, it's non-offensive language. It's, you know, it's just there in a very kid-friendly. It's pretty, pretty it's universal. Super universal. Think, yeah. It's super universal. Yeah. You know, and two, you know, the data I collected on over fifteen hundred kids and in, in those post assessments, ninety-one point three percent of kids scored eighty percent or greater on their post assessments, and that's like crazy good data. Which means kids are learning these concepts, and it's concepts, and it's because. I put it together in such a way that's, you know, brain-based best classroom practices, research-based, and it's it's getting results. Kids love and remember the box and it works. And I'm I'm so grateful and privileged, you know, to be doing the work, thank God. And, you know, our kids just deserve to be free from the shackles of abuse and to grow into the fullness of who they're created to become unhindered from abuse. 
Amen. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Missy, can I ask what drove you to start doing this work to protect kids? Yes, yes. And abuse is not a part of my story. I did not experience childhood physical or sexual abuse, but my background is in elementary education. So here I was, this young 20-something-year-old teacher, and I always wanted to create, I had taught first and second graders for many years. So I always wanted to create classrooms where kids felt really seen, known, welcomed, and valued, and to create these just these beautiful classroom communities along with the kids in my care where they were just happy. And the kind of environment you'd want in a healthy home was the kind of environment I was Uh trying to create in in my classroom. And, you know, here I am in my doctoral studies and, and learning all this, and I learned about the abuse stats. And I'm like, okay, this is great that I'm trying to create these classroom, these great classroom communities, but I am missing the boat trying to meet children's social emotional needs if kids are leaving the classroom and these are what the abuse stats are. So I looked into, okay, what are, I was trying to look and see what prevention programs were out there. And at the time, shockingly, Hunter, there was next to nothing. I mean, next to nothing in the child abuse prevention programming. And what was out there was so outdated. It was like Brady Brunch status. I mean, really outdated. The The lessons just weren't active and engaging. They didn't incorporate best practices that I'm here learning desperately how to be able to, to provide for kids. So I created the lessons myself. I um, left my own classroom. I piloted, I created the body safety box lessons, piloted them in three different school districts. And as I was mentioning the lessons were so well received. I was getting these phenomenal results. And it's like, this has to be everywhere. This has to be more places than I can reach by myself. So that's how I packaged the body safety box and, and we're able to get it everywhere, you know, it, which which is yeah. really, really a privilege to be able to impact kids so positively. And and we will help you get it more places. Thank too. you. Um, Thank you. Dear, li- dear listener, I know that I'm going to be, when this episode airs, I'm going to be sharing this episode with the principal of my school and asking them to listen to the this episode. Thank you. And I'm going to be asking them to implement this c- curriculum in the class, uh, you know, five to five to 12. They can, that's the entire. That's elementary school. You know, that's the, that's the whole elementary range. So thank you. So uh, imagine how many kids we could save. So dear listener, I invite you to do the same, do it with me and, and let us, let me know, um, it, it, that you're going to be taking this, taking this to your school. Um, Missy, this is incredible work. Thank you so much. And so important. And I know that there are, um, there are cl- listeners who have suffered abuse. Yes. Um, lis- listening right now. Yes. Um, and this is, you know, there's so much suffering that people have undergone and we can do our part to prevent some of it. You know, we can we can shift things and change, turn things around for this next generation. Yes. And if you are a listener who has experienced abuse, there is hope and healing for you. It is so beyond not your fault. And there's also prevention for your kids. And you are among so many women who this has happened to, and you're a beautiful person, and I'm so sorry, and it should have never happened. Yeah. And then I was thinking back to what you said about these lessons in the body safety box and that foundational sense of worth and identity. And you mentioned that the way how negatively we speak to ourselves. And I invite you, dear listener, to consider, right, we always talk about our best the best parenting is modeling, right? The best parenting is in modeling. So can we 
Can we start to interrupt the cycles of those, that negative self-talk, you know, where we're not, we're not honoring our worth? Um, can we start to interrupt those cycles of negative self-talk and think about how, how would I talk to somebody who was a dear friend who was yes. saying these things to themselves? How, you know, start to turn it around, start to interrupt that pattern because it is a pattern. It's a habit. It is. And, and it can be changed. It can be shifted. Absolutely. I'm reminded of Kristen Neff's beautiful work on self-compassion, having compassion for ourselves. How would you, how can we speak to ourselves as we would speak to a loved friend? And we, and sometimes we can't do it for ourselves, but listen, mm -hmm. you can do it for your kid, right? They've, yes. They're, eventually your, that inner voice comes out. So we want that foundational sense of worth and identity. We need it in ourselves and we need to teach it to our kids. Um, Missy, thank you so much for creating the body safety box and for taking the time to share it um, with us. I think this is so, so important. I hope that listeners don't skip. Dear listener, you're here, so you haven't skipped this episode. I want you to, you know, this is so valuable. We need to spread spread this around. I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to us today and to to share everything that you've done with the Body Safety Box. It, it means so much. Thank you so much, Hunter, for the opportunity. I really appreciate you and the great work you do. All right. So where can people find it if they want to get their own Body Safety Box? Yes. Head over to bodysafetybox.com. They're available for purchase there for individual families. There's also a schools page where administrators, school administrators, school counselors, anyone working in the school system can fill out a form and I will see it directly. You're welcome to contact me directly. Any, any email address you see on the website will come directly to me, support at bodysafetybox.com. I will see it and I would be more than happy to communicate with your principal directly and in any way I can help to just spread the word and get our kids safe. I'm, I would be really so privileged to do it. Thank you so much for, for coming on, Missy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Hunter. I hope you got as, as much out of this conversation as I did. So, so, so important, right? It's really definitely one we have to share around because this is honestly like the number one most important kind of conversations we can have for kids' safety. I mean, people worry about safety and I think, gosh, most kids are generally like so safe as far as injury and things like that. But from abuse, you know, this is where we really have to focus our safety energy, I think. So please do share the episode. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe. I want to give a big shout out to Christy Cat, who left a five-star review on Apple Podcast titled The Review New Way of Life. And she said, I'm addicted to Mindful Mama. I got more out of one episode of this podcast than eight weeks of therapy. Honestly, incredible guests and perspectives that have made me make a 180 change in my life. I love listening to this podcast as it helps me realize and answer hard questions with myself as well as feeling like I'm a part of a community of people who have the same stuff on their plate. If I could rate it 10 out of 5, I would. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Christy. And thank you to everybody in this community of people all around the world for listening. Thank you for being here, dear listener. Thank you for um, listening all the way to the end of this episode, which is challenging one so i'm honestly so thrilled that you are here i yeah i hope that we can 
spread the word and shift and change things with some of our, some are just person to person sharing with this, right? Like it's so valuable, so meaningful. So thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Okay. All right. Talk to you then. Take care, my friend. Namaste. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.